Welcome to Ease, the entertainment and showbiz experiences podcast. It's all things entertainment based, how to get into it and how to develop it into something once you are ready to move on. All the information people didn't tell you, forgot to tell you, or were too busy to tell you, all told through personal experiences. Hello and welcome to Ease Podcast. This week we have artist, writer, performer, dancer, social media extraordinaire, Bernard Velasquez joining the program. We discuss how he learned to dance watching music videos, dancing and what it takes to live in LA. We also touch on a few of his awesome dance jobs. We then turn the page and talk about New York City. We then shift the focus and we discuss how he's really survived through this pandemic. We talk about his success on TikTok and his new book full of his own poetry. I'm excited to bring you this week's one-on-one with the authentic Burns. Enjoy. Bernard, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, TJ. How are you? I'm doing great. Tell everybody where you are, what you're doing now um, during this whole time of quarantine-ish. I am in New York City, Queens to be specific. Mm-hmm. And during this quarantine, well, technically as of now, I am back at work. Yeah. So I am working half of my normal, like, full-time life. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, I am working on a lot of personal projects and doing a lot of writing um, and trying to organize all of this so I can release it to the public. Yes, we'll get into the we'll get into all that stuff in a bit. But tell everybody, are how do you classify yourself in the entertainment industry? Are you a, a singer, dancer, actor? How do you classify yourself? I classify myself as just an artist, but mm-hmm. specifically a dancer. Um, okay. that is my main focus. Dancer, your main focus. Perfect. But you do, like you said, you do a whole bunch of a slew of other things that will definitely definitely get into but speaking of dancing how did you start dancing when you were a little kid um i started dancing at the age of 17 i was either 17 or 18 yes so it was like much um later than Uh most um i've always danced as a kid just growing up because i enjoy music But um, I did not actually start dancing and going to a studio and being trained until I was about 17 years old. Where is this? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Los Angeles and I started dancing in the Inland Empire. So in Uh Rancho Cucamonga. Mm -hmm. So you're 17 or 18. That means you're on the cusp of going to college or like at least graduating from high school. Yes. What what made you wait so long or decide to go into it at that point? Um, I had no idea that there was such a thing as a dance studio where they taught a multitude of of dance styles. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was on a hip hop team in high school. Okay. And one of my teammates was like, Bernard, you should come with us. Like, we're going to go to a dance studio. We're going to take some hip hop. Like, I feel like you would have a really good time. And I was like, a dance studio? I was like, girl, what's that? And so (laughs) she was like, just come with me. She was like, it's a free, like the first class is free. I said, oh, girl, that's all you had to say from the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. So I go ahead and I go with her to this dance studio and I'm walking around and I'm seeing a lot going on. 
And I'm like, well, I'm in a completely different zone. Like, okay. But I take the class. Afterwards, I talk to the teacher. And she was super chill. Her name was Wilma. Um, and we clicked. From there, I was like, you know what? I'm down to keep coming. And I kept going to that one studio. I ended up um, doing a performance at their recital towards the end of the year. Nice. Um, where I ended up meeting this um, male hip hop team who was like a guest for that studio mm-hmm. um, performing. And I ended up shifting studios because I wanted to be in this all male hip hop crew. Mm. And it kind of all just stemmed from there. I was just like, wait a minute. I love this life. This is really fun. Yes. Now, what got you into the hip hop crew in high school? Uh, well, so hip hop is the one style that like I've always known about. And it was just because like culturally growing up in LA, it's stuff that we've always seen. So like I remember growing up in Los Angeles, in South Central, there is some um like hip hop dancing clowns is a thing. So back then, this um there was a man named Tommy the Clown, and mm-hmm. he was huge, um, really big in our community. And if you remember, like, the Crump era yeah. um, around Rise and all of that, mm-hmm. that is, like, that was what I did. So okay. we would be in the garage making up dances, trying to do Janet, trying to do Michael, trying to, you know, Chris Brown came out trying to do that. So we were just always playing around. And I got to high school, ended up finding out that there was a dance team that was hip hop. And I was like, okay, well, I think I can do it. And it just all flourished from there. Nice. So you're watching, you're watching music videos yes. to learn the stylings, to learn the choreography. So you're watching all these music videos. Which ones are your favorites growing up? Um, ooh. So <laughs> Janet was like my absolute fave when I was growing up. Yep. There was just some, I think it was the fact that she had all this power that I didn't typically see um, in uh, like, I didn't normally see women embrace. Mm-hmm. But she also had this femininity that, like, I felt like I connected with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so being able to do her movement, whether it was um, whether it was in Scream and it was her and Michael, mm-hmm. um, whether I was watching her um, like a moth to a flame. Yeah. Like, that was my jam. Yeah. Just, like, trying to learn those moves and that choreography – I remember when she came out with All Night Don't Stop. That was my jam. Mm-hmm. And I would sit in my grandmother's living room trying my hardest to learn these moves. And I couldn't get them. I was an absolute wreck. But yeah. I would keep trying because I was like, I'm going to get this. I'm going to be a little Janet. Yeah. This this is the era of like TRL. And yes. like afternoon videos and like humongous countdowns from like 20 to 1 for like ever and ever. And they just kind of drew them out all the time. But also like the era of like really big name choreographers or people that got really big because they were choreographing for iconic people like Janet, like Tina. Tina was iconic because she did if and she did a whole bunch of other things for Janet during that time and it really was the rise of like these these epic choreographers during this time now I have a question did you did you press record on a VHS to learn these or did you just watch them on loop I watched them on loop I sat myself right in front of that television and I would play it would play and play and play and then what I would do though is on my radio 
Mm-hmm. I would put my um, cassette tape in mm-hmm. and whenever the song would come on, I made sure I hit that record and that play button so I can record it on my tape. So that way I can try to practice the moves, even though I didn't have the video at the time, I still had the music. Yes. Yeah. These these were the, the times before recording, you know, on your phone or it was archaic, it seemed like many years ago. Yes. But um, there's a quality to learning something visually like that, that a lot of people have struggled with. Because when you're learning something on a TV screen, it's actually reverse of what you see. So they're going to the right, but you see them going to the left. So there's there is a, a, a good skill learned from, from watching something like that and being able to reverse it or mirror it and know that in, in reality, it's actually the other way. So it's a, it's a really, really good skill. Absolutely. And it also just taught me tenacity and perseverance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it was just a matter of like, if you want this, you got to keep fighting for it. So once I actually got into dance and I was being taught by professionals and it wasn't just, you know, me and my grandmother sitting in the living room or me and my uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep working until I get this. Mm-hmm. So you're making that transition from like basically doing it on your own to peep somebody instructing you what's what are you finding is the most difficult thing making that transition um the most difficult part of making that transition was having someone there to constantly correct me i was mm-hmm. in a space where typically i if i made a mistake and i got frustrated or um i just couldn't get it so i felt like i was going to give up and then i was like you know what no let's get up and let's keep going it was always just me for the most part um or someone that I felt comfortable with because I knew them. Mm-hmm. But once I got into the space of, oh, wait, I'm in front of a teacher and they're just staring at me, literally fixing everything that I'm doing so that way it's correct or I'm getting the foundation or I'm getting the choreography or I'm getting the technique. Um, it was like, oh, my God, I'm like, it was a completely different ball game because I felt so, so vulnerable. If yeah. you will. Yeah, of course. So you're, you have a normal childhood schooling. You went to just a regular elementary, middle, high school, but then you decided to go into this hip hop crew. When did you, what happened after you graduated high school? After I graduated high school, I went to Cal State Fullerton um, and I enrolled as a dance major, which was, it was very eye opening. Um, I had to learn a lot about both my work ethic. Uh And then also I felt like I was playing catch up because I have this thing like many, I'm sure, where I try to strive for perfection. I don't want to be the one in the room who is not getting it, who's not picking it up, who's, you know, and when I got to college, I didn't really do technique at all. So I had only did hip hop and maybe a year or two of jazz. Mm -hmm. So getting into college, into this dance program, and then having to take majority ballet and modern, I was like, oh, my God, what did I just get myself into? Uh-huh. Um, but I'm glad that I did it because yeah. my teacher that I had, her name was Gladys Karras. I will never forget her. She is. <laughs> oh, my God. She's one of the greatest human beings I've ever met to this day. Um, she would pull me into her office and give me very honest feedback Uh and constructive criticism, even just about both my dance and my personal um, life, the things that she knew and Mm. behaviors that she saw. And she really helped me grow and mature during that time. So it helped out. 
I do think that's something that's missing nowadays is just that that like kind of straightforward direct talking about what you need to do. Oh, absolutely. I think mentorship in general is something that is lacking as of now. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it isn't, and it's just that I don't typically see it. Mm -hmm. um, but when I look at a lot of dancers nowadays, I see so many people kind of doing what we did back then, where is instead of we were sitting in front of TRL, they're sitting in front of their computers on YouTube or yeah. their own TikTok or something of that sort. Um, but I feel like a lot of these artists that are now emerging, they're kind of lacking that mentorship, someone who's going to be honest with you, someone who's going to be upfront and frank and teach you not only just about like the artistry part of the business, but, um, how do you conduct yourself in the room? You know, mm -hmm. how do you be professional? Um, how do you express yourself without jeopardizing your job? Things of that sort. Yeah. How do you stand up for yourself? Right. And you're right. Conducting yourself in a room is a quality. It's a trait that you really, you do have to learn it. You have, you have to, somebody has to teach you a few things to get that, that idea down because you're going to be standing in front of people that are going to be judging you. Right. And speaking of that, when did you, when did you get your first dancing job? I got my first dancing job. Um, Ooh, oh my God. My first paid dancing job was during my scholarship at Edge. So after okay. I left Cal State Fullerton. You were you there um, too? Was that a two-year or four-year degree? Um, I didn't finish school because okay. I was paying out of pocket and I yes. refused to get a loan. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you so did I'm what like, you needed you to. You know what? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you so, went to um, I, I did. I went to Edge and, um, you know, very blessed. I got in my first year auditioning. Mm -hmm. um, and during the program, we um, they ended up hiring all of the scholarship students for the season finale of Bunheads. Mm -hmm. And it was season one. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a really fun day just because, you know, Dancing at Edge during the scholarship program, you're also working the front desk. Mm -hmm. So I got to network and connect and meet so many amazing people. And then when I got on set for Bunheads, literally everybody that I would see at the studio was on set. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be a blast. So it was literally kind of like a hangout almost. It didn't mm -hmm. feel like work at all. Um, and ironically, the episode, like our the section that I was in for the filming had to do with an audition. So I was like, oh, this is kind of perfect. Yeah. But that was my very first dance gig. That's an awesome first dance gig. Really, it is. Will you, can you explain to everybody what EDGE is and what the scholarship program is, just briefly? Yes, of course. So um, EDGE PAC, EDGE Performing Arts Center, it is a dance studio. It's a professional dance studio. Um, it has been around for over 20, over 25 years. Um, the scholarship program in particular, they take normally 20 students, 10 boys and 10 girls, um, and they go about um, educating them on, you know, acting, singing, dancing, you do um, improv, you have classes specifically just for your group, but then you're also in classes that everyone else will take as well. But you have to get your paper signed, you have a certain amount of hours you have to do. Um, you're really being taught 
how to not only be a well-trained and well-rounded dancer, but you're also being trained on how to conduct yourself in the business, how to do your taxes, how to mm-hmm. um, read your contracts. They're really setting you up to be um, your own boss. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. What, it was one of those programs I, I didn't learn about until I moved to LA. Um, I never realized that when you say dance studio, it seems a different picture, but this is a, this is a humongous. This is like, a uh, there's, there's multiple of them. There's some like in, I think, wait, it's a millennium in Vegas, but they're, they're like chain, big, humongous, um, yes. studios that, that aren't just doing like your everyday after school classes. You're offering classes for adults. They're offering classes for professionals all day long. It's like, it's a cycle that just goes from like nine in the morning until 10 at night, every single day. It's, um, it's a really great operation out West. It's, it's the West coast version of Broadway dance center, basically. Exactly. And you're being taught by these choreographers and instructors who, you know, work with Janet, work with Beyonce, Mm -hmm. work with Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, Usher, the list just literally goes on and on and on. And you're like, wow. I'm mm-hmm. literally getting to dance with these choreographers every day and being, you know, um, mentored by them. I think one of my favorite moments was when we found out we were going to be um, trained by Mandy Moore. And I oh. was like, oh, my God, no way. And we all were freaking out. We were so excited. And we had two and a half hours with her. And it was just in our group, it ended up being 18 of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was two and a half hours of the 18 of us and Mandy Moore. And it was <laughs> eye-opening. Uh, she's she's incredible. She's really, Absolutely. really good. Um, so you, how long is Edge Scholarship Program? Six months? Ed, it is an entire year. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you do, um, if I remember correctly, because this was back in 2012 to 2013, mm-hmm. um, if I remember correctly, every three months you change um, your class schedule okay. just so that way you can, for example, if you were in, um, if you were taking a certain amount of ballet classes here um, during the next you know, quarter, you will go ahead and switch it up to where maybe you're taking a little bit more jazz, maybe a little bit more hip hop um, Mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, doing some testing just so that way they can see where you're at and how you're progressing. So they know how to cultivate your class schedule. Um, But it's an entire year, 12 months. And does it culminate, does it culminate in agency show at the end? It does. So after six months, I believe Mm -hmm. we go ahead and we audition for your scholarship pieces back at during my year. um, There was nine pieces total, Mm -hmm. um, one all boy number, one all girl number, and then the rest of them were group numbers, but you had to audition for everything outside of um, just, you know, the two separates. Mm -hmm. Now, it was really awesome and kind of like scary at the same time, just because you have been dancing with these same individuals for six mm. months by this point. So you've cultivated this friendship and this bond, but now you're about to audition technically with them in the room mm-hmm. and it's for, you know, a piece or a choreographer that you really want to work with. So for example, um, like Nick Lanzacera was a really awesome choreographer. It is a really awesome choreographer. Terry Best is awesome. Denise, Adam Parson, and all of these mm. choreographers were there. So you had to 
to audition for their pieces and you were like, okay, I have to get in this or I want this particular role. So I want to be the best that I can, but you're not just doing choreography. You're also improving and mm-hmm. they're, you know, doing your freestyles and they, they want you to have the same kind of um, t- tenacity and, you mm-hmm. know, dedication that you would have if you were auditioning for a Britney Spears tour. Um, so you're kind of looking at your friend and you're like, okay, girl, I love you and all, but <laughs> I'm trying to be the lead in this piece. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that the case in reality? Like you could walk into a room and you could be, you know, 25 people and they're all your friends and you all know them. But I mean, really, you're kind of wanting the job for yourself. So you just go and you just it's a good, you know, it's it's a great feeling that, you know, all these people, but you got to in the end, you just got to do it for yourself. Right. Perform. Absolutely. And the crazy thing is about my year during scholarship, one of the feedback, one of the pieces of feedback that all of us would get as a collective was that we weren't competitive enough with Mm. one another. Mm-hmm. And it was because we were all so buddy buddy. Like we hung out together, we made dinner together, we knew each other's parents, we knew each other's siblings, we cried, laughed, everything. And because of that bond, we were like, we don't want to fight with one another, we don't want to compete. <laughs> um, but what was awesome is that when we were in those rooms and we were, you know, dancing, we would h- try to hype each other up and feed off of each other's energy. So that way we were all giving our best, yeah. whether or not we were trying to necessarily outshine the other person right you guys all know where everybody stood it's almost like you guys were a cast and a and a performance rather than right you know, and competing against each other for parts so you you conclude the the year at edge what happens after um so at the end of the year you audition um for the top agencies in los angeles mm-hmm. i believe we auditioned for six agencies okay um, I end up getting a callback from five of them, which was, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, wait, what? Although the funny thing was there was one that I really, really wanted. And I was like, this is my first choice. They have to take me, please, please, please. Oh, no. And that was the one that did not take <laughs> no. me. And I was like, oh. um, but- now wait, did you only want it because a lot of people that you knew were, were with them or did you want them because they were known for a specific kind of style that they, that they really um, shined in? Um, I wanted to be with them because they were known for a particular type of style. I okay. love doing mm-hmm. technique. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about, especially contemporary ballet, yeah. there's something about it that literally makes my spirit sing. Mm-hmm. And with that particular agency, I felt like, I didn't see a lot of me there. And I was like, oh my God, I would love to be able um, to fit into this group and be next to, um, you know, the Melanie Moores Mm -hmm. or next to um, the Sashas and a lot of So You Think You Can Dance Mm -hmm. dancers, um, the Mark Connemoras and and so forth. And I was like, if I can get into that space, that will be awesome because that's the style of dance that I particularly wanted to go for. And I saw that a lot of their um, their talents were going on those auditions. Gotcha. Um, so that's why I wanted to be with them in particular. So nonetheless, you signed with somebody else. I did. And I had a blast. You had a blast. <laughs> so then what, <laughs> what, what kind of jobs are you getting with this agency? 
Um, I ended up getting, so one of my favorite jobs that I got was actually with Stiletto. Yeah. It was with Stiletto Entertainment. And that's what led me into the cruise ship realm. Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad I was directed towards that path. So there was three of, um, so three of us from our, from our group of 18, um, end up signing with this particular agency. Mm -hmm. And when we signed with them, um, a lot of the times we would go on the same auditions, but then a few that we wouldn't hear about just because of, you know, demographic and things of that sort, we would yeah. still text each other and say, Hey girl, just letting you know, I'm going to this audition, boom, boom, boom. Um, and I don't know if you got called for it, but I just wanted to let you know about it just in case. And mm -hmm. so one of my friends ended up calling me and told me they were going to a stiletto audition. And I was actually out of town, but I ended up coming back in. So I was like, oh, perfect. I'm already here. Maybe that's why they didn't send me, but it's totally okay. So I end up going to the audition uh -huh. and I end up getting a call back from them. And they told uh -huh. me they were going to put me on a hire list. And I was like, okay, they uh -huh. explained everything of what it was. And they said, typically it takes several months before you get a call uh -huh. um, that you're going to get a gig. <laughs> And I was like, okay, no problem. Next thing I know, a couple of days later, yeah. this beautiful, vibrant voice by the name of Jody calls me and she's like, hey, Bernard, like, we would love to offer you this contract on the Zyderdam. And I was like, what? Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was freaking out because I was like, oh my God, I'm about to get like a dance gig right now that I booked outside of scholarship. And it was only a couple months after I was done. Yeah. And at the same time, I was like, wait a minute, girl, you're scared of like big bodies of water mm -hmm. and you're going to be on a boat. What yeah. are you going to do? <laughs> but I was like, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. This is what I did this for. Like just for new, like just to experience life in general. So I was like, yeah. let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. So you do it. You do, you do the Zyrodam. I and do then, it. Then do you go to um, another company after that? I did. So I stayed with Stiletto and I ended up doing two contracts. Uh -huh. And then I ended up going to, if I remember correctly, I ended up going to Norwegian. Uh -huh. And that was also a blast. A lot of friends that I met there, I'm still very close with to this day, even from Stiletto. Um, the cruise ship industry in general is one that I would say has made my world so, so, so much smaller because <laughs> I didn't realize how connected everyone is, but it's fantastic. Cause I feel like anywhere I go in the world, there has to be family somewhere here, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, but after I end up leaving, um, I did a couple contracts with Norwegian and then I ended up moving to New York. Okay. And then I did a contract with RWS as well, oh, okay. which was another fantastic experience, but, um, they ended up uh, doing the same company that Stiletto did as well, which was Holland America. Mm -hmm. So it was still familiar territory. Yeah. So you, you moved to, when did you move to New York? I moved to New York April 30th of 2016. Oh my. So your, <laughs> your four year anniversary was this year. It was absolutely. In quarantine. In quarantine. I was so sad. <laughs> I know. I know. So many great things have happened in, or so many celebrations have happened in quarantine. It's almost like we have to like write off 2020 forever. <laughs> it's it's right. crazy. So many but, birthdays and everything. 
it's I know I can't even I can't even imagine I forget how old I am because I didn't even celebrate my birthday this year I was like I don't know I just don't know (laughs) (laughs) but speaking of quarantine so you you leave um New York to go on RWS did you go on any other contracts after that one for Holland America or did you strictly stay in New York um, I did stay in New York, Okay, but what I ended up doing was, so my friends who I moved to New York with, uh-huh. um, when I left to go do my contract, we decided that we were going to still live together, but we wanted to get a bigger place. Gotcha. And so while I was on the ship doing, cause I did two contracts with RWS. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also was able to do some workshops for them as well and um, help them create some new shows, which was fantastic. Gotcha. Cause I was like, I've never helped anyone create like a whole entire 45 minute show. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, but when um, I was out on my contracts at sea, my friends were emailing me. We were still in, 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 in contact with each other. They were sending me the renters agreement Um, Mm -hmm. So that way I can still sign it, do like an e-document type of situation and then send it back to them so they can give it to the landlord so we Mm -hmm. can still get our place. So that way I can still have a a home when I came back to New York because I was like, I still love this city. I don't want to leave yet. Mm -hmm. It's something there's something super captivating about it that you just don't want to leave. Right. But you need to leave to make some money sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. So you're doing all those things. And then are you dancing in New York City at all? Um, I am dancing in New York City. It has been, oh my God, it's been so much fun. So I end up going to Broadway Dance Center. Uh Uh-huh. Um, just to take class. And I ended up meeting a couple choreographers there whose class I would take um, on the regular. And gotcha. we ended up kind of creating a bond. And through them, I was able to book some other gigs, get my name out there a little bit. The most recent thing that um, I just did was a music video for Todrick Hall, which was the wig video. Yeah. Um, that was a fantastic experience. Very fun. I got to meet a lot of awesome people. Yeah. Um, and then from the and then after that, what we end up doing, a friend of mine that was on that same set end up doing a concept video for one of the songs off of his one of his newer albums called Cake Pop. Mm-hmm. So I got to do that show as well. And then he ended up asking me if I wanted to collaborate with him because he got booked for Raw Artist in Brooklyn. Yeah. And he was like, I would love to co- um, co-choreograph with you and we can create an entire piece. So we created a six minute piece. Um, it's a Pussycat Dolls number because they yeah. came back and we were like, oh my God, like you got to do this. Yeah. Um, but COVID-19 happened. So we're kind of yeah. waiting and it's all postponed. Wow. You like kind of just took off with once you got back into the city after some contracts in New, in New York. Yes. You really can. Um, that city is so magical because you can just pop into one one thing and then can just slowly lead to something else. And after after, you know, just a couple attempts, you're snowballing. And you're right. So COVID happens and you're, you're putting the brakes on this, on this um, project that you're co-collaborating on. I think, right. this, I think this is when you start creating other things. Is it not? You are absolutely correct. It is when you start creating and taking your artistry and saying, okay, I know I can do this well, but what else can I do? And you start to challenge yourself. And that's how I shifted into writing. Okay. 
And so I, at this point, I am basically done with my first book that I've written. Oh. Um, and it is a poetry book. Uh-huh. I have um, a few friends reading it at the moment, including um, my business partner, who's my older sister, who Not also you. taught me how to dance. <laughs> nice. And um, I'm just waiting for their feedback. After that, then I submit it for the copyright. And then it's time to sell it and publish. Publish. Now, was this? Now, tell me, talk me through your quarantine. Did you go through a little bit of depression on what you were gonna do and how you were gonna try to get over this, or was? Did you know immediately, like, I'm going into lockdown. I got a, you know, I got, I have a book to write and I have things to do. Um, you know, I have to say, I was very, very blessed. Mm -hmm. Um, I am very, very blessed. Um, the job that I have really takes care of their employees. So I okay. give them a huge round of applause for that. Mm -hmm. So during the COVID-19, during this whole entire pandemic, I haven't really had to worry necessarily about gotcha. money or anything of that sort. So, and I'm also a person who's used to being kind of like by themselves. I am a lone wolf, a Capricorn mm -hmm. through and through. And so I was ready for this, this time to decompress, to relax to return to myself. New York City is, it's so full of energy and it's easy for you to find yourself to become tired because you're always doing something, also mm -hmm. because there's just always something to do. And with that, I was like, I have been asking for a break <laughs> for so yeah. long. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna take this time and I'm gonna do it. And about a week into my quarantine, I was like, all right, Breaks over. <laughs> I, I want to do something now. And everybody was on TikTok. And I was mm -hmm. like, I don't want to get on this app. I hear it's for children. I'm not sure. And next thing I know, I was like, Bernard, just get the TikTok, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Stop playing. And I got TikTok, um, started watching a couple videos, and I thought they were hilarious. And I love comedy. So I was like, okay, this may be my scene. Yep. And I found that night a um, um, a challenge. It was a savage challenge for Megan uh -huh. The Stallion. And I'm a big fan of hers. So I was like, all right, let me do the savage challenge. So I recorded it that night. And I had just got my Ivy Park because my birthday was in January and Beyonce released it in January. And I was like, see, it's because she knows me. Yeah. So <laughs> I did the video in my Ivy Park to Megan The Stallion Savage. Woke up the next morning and the video had 20,000 views. And I was like, oh my God, did I just go viral? Yeah. And so like, I was kind of like freaking out for a second. And I was like, no, maybe I'm tripping. And the next thing I know, I had some friends messaging me like, girl, you're blowing up right now. And I was like, wait, what? They're like, no, yes. Like, it's a thing. Like, we just saw your video on Twitter. And I was like, oh my God. So I kind of just continue making these TikTok videos yeah. um, all the while. I'm still writing and doing poetry, but I didn't think of anything of like, oh, I'm going to release this poetry or, or, or do like a spoken word and put it on camera. Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, you know what? Let's play around on TikTok and just start making, um, using my creativity till its fullest extent. Yeah. And next thing I know, I'm making dance videos on TikTok. I'm making, um, I'm doing my poetry on TikTok and doing inspirational, motivational videos for people, just helping them find their authentic self and inspiring them to do that work to, um, to self-awareness, self-love. 
And then I'm also doing acting videos on my TikTok. And mm -hmm. then two months later, I have a couple people contacting me to do interviews and then including like BuzzFeed London. Yeah. And then my follower count had jumped to 100K and I'm like, oh my God, wait, this all happened very quickly. Yeah. I actually remember seeing um, seeing uh, something that you posted on Facebook and you're like, I don't know what this TikTok thing is. Can somebody explain it to me? <laughs> and then I thought it was hysterical. I was just laughing. I was like, that's that's the way that I feel like everybody goes into TikTok. They're just like, what is this? Can somebody help me? And can you explain it to me? And then I even remember that day when you woke up and you posted something, you're like, you guys will not even believe this. And like ever since there, it's kind of evolved into this like fun thing to watch evolve even even more than the videos it was like this, this evolution of of the story that happened so quickly do you think that tiktoks helped you solidify you as a brand absolutely yes yeah i have to give them i have to i have to include them in that because what happened is there was one day a friend of mine she lives in um she lives in london mm-hmm she texts me and she goes, she was like, Bernie, she was like, I would love to do um, the Don't Rush Challenge. She was like, but I want to do it with my friends from all around the world. And she's a friend that I met working on cruise ships. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God. I said, girl, of course, I got you. So I said, just let me know whatever you need from me and when you need it. So she messages me everything that she needed, the time frame, the cuts that she needed, the type of recording, the angle, all of those things, very detailed. And I was like, perfect. I love it. That's my, that's my forte. Yeah. And so I record the video. I send it over to her. And at this point, I'm already dressed up in this blue suit and I have nowhere to go because I'm in quarantine and I'm super scared to leave the house anyway. So I was like, I'm really not going to just go outside just to show somebody my outfit. So I said, girl, get on camera just because yeah. why not? Yeah. So I get on camera and I like just off the rip, make a video, you know, just telling people, get up, get out of your pajamas, brush your teeth, put on some clothes, do your hair, make yourself feel good, pour some wine and look in the mirror and just tell yourself, yes, I'm it. I'm, yeah. I'm everything. I'm everything that I need, you know? And I started off by saying, I said self, myself said sis. And literally that video, I think at this point has surpassed 400,000 views or something of that sort. Mm -hmm. And everybody started like sending me messages like, oh my God, I've been saying to myself, myself said sis, and it became a thing. And that really developed this brand that I have now of, oh my God, I think I just found my purpose. I am here during this time frame, at least to be what I call like, a light healer. I'm using the light that I have in me to help heal other people who may not have self-love today, mm -hmm. but they haven't had anyone remind them that the self-love is already in them. They just have to return to it. Yeah. Um, and TikTok was pretty much my, um, my conduit, if you will, to, to figuring that out. Yeah. Uh, did you, were you, did you ever get nervous posting something if it doesn't match in your brand? Do you, are you constantly thinking about that now? Oh my God. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and one thing there was, I found myself during quarantine and this was before I returned to work. Um, I found myself being a little bit stressed because mm. my videos were getting so much traction mm -hmm. and, um, and I didn't want to let anybody down. Sure. So I was like, okay, 
let me put out this video, but I wanted to, I want to do it a little bit differently. Um, I want to, you know, showcase a different side of my character. I want to wear something different. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, people are normally used to seeing this. I don't know how they're going to take this. And in that moment of frustration, I had to tell myself, what, do you, what did you do this for in the beginning? Mm-hmm. What was the whole purpose? And I had to, once I reminded myself that it wasn't about numbers, it wasn't about, you know, being, um, you know, famous or anything of that sort or well-known. It was just about helping people. I was like, you know what? Your brand is you, it's your light, it's your authenticity, and it's you living in your authenticity. Um, hence the name Authentic Burns, that mm-hmm. is my handle everywhere. And so um, with that, I told myself, you know what, whatever you want to do, as long as it is coming from you, and it's not something that is being force-fed by another, and it is your authentic being creating this, then it is okay to put it out. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing. Nice. I know some people fear, like you said, there's there's a fear that maybe they're not doing something right. But boiling it down to why you started it in the first place is some some really good advice, you know, because it really shouldn't be stressful. Uh, social right. media is it should be a fun thing to do. But I mean, there's also some topics that you that you have to you have to either acknowledge or not acknowledge. So using your platform and knowing that you had a lot of followers, did you think it was important for you to share in this Black Lives Matter? Um, Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Um, Being, you know, being somebody who's Black, non-binary, queer, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've gone through a lot of my own struggles Sure. Both in, um, you know, in the black community, in the world, in the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, But once everything with the Black Lives Matter movement began around May, um, Mm -hmm. I told myself one of the things that I always strive for is to be authentic. And a part of my authentic character is fighting for people is, you know, so I said, I have to fight for one myself. I am, Mm -hmm. I'm a black person. So like, this is my life on the line. Um, And what's been going on in the world and the things that people have been seeing, I have also experienced to a, I have also experienced to a certain degree personally. Um, And so it was very, it was very personal for me. Mm -hmm. So I, I said that I have to do it. And it challenged me in a way that, I had to take my writing and shift it from being all about, you know, self-love and authenticity to being, you know, now I'm talking directly to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm, 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 you know, I made a poem on TikTok, for example, that was specifically talking to the Black creators on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, I end up making, I end up doing a lot of poetry um, for my job, actually, and then also for a few open mics um, mm-hmm. on IG Live, where I was talking about what it felt like to be a Black person, what it felt like to be somebody who's Black and queer, um, what it felt like, you know, to have a gun put in my face, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the age of 17, two guns put in my face, because I'm like, oh my God, what is this? What's going on? And it happened on the on my prime night, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I have... You know, I've been able to heal from it. Yeah. Um, And, you know, so with my platform, I said, you have all these followers and you got them for a reason. 
So go ahead and start to educate people. So I end up going live. Um, mm. And that is a thing that I've been doing for a few months now where I go live on TikTok, I go live on Instagram, and I educate people on Black history. I educate people um, and not just like Black history, meaning like, you know, Black Americans, but also just um, Africa as well. Mm -hmm. I educate them on kings and queens and I educate them on, you know, the Black experience. I try to let them know about different books that they can read to educate themselves on, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, on um, on our experience, on, um, you know, the systemic racism that is mm -hmm. America and all of these things. So we really were able to I have been able to um, open the eyes of many. And at the same time, um, while advocating and protesting out here in New York, I was also able to post a lot on my social media to make others aware of many people who are, you know, the victims that brought out the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, whether we're mm -hmm. talking about a Tatiana Jefferson, whether we're talking about Tamir Rice, whether we're talking about George Floyd, whether we're talking about um, um, countless other we, people, countless, countless like there's people, so yeah. many. And just with social media and the numbers that I have now acquired, I was able to educate them. And I even had a few individuals messaging me um, asking me, hey, I want to be able to talk to my family about this. How do you suggest I go about it? Um, and things mm -hmm. of that sort. And it was it was very humbling. And I was very flattered to have people look to me for that guidance. Because um, I didn't really have that before. Yeah. Did you, did you in your wildest dreams ever want this, this path for your life? Um, to be honest, I did not. The only path that I wanted for my life, <laughs> which probably sounds like, I don't know, but I just wanted happiness and to yeah. just be in love. That's it. Those were things that um, I felt I didn't get to see enough of. Mm -hmm. And I told myself that, like, that is what I want to strive for in life. No matter what happens, no matter what job I'm working at, no matter how much money I have or how little money I have, no matter what apartment or house or anything that I'm staying in, I just want to be at peace with myself. I want to be happy. And hopefully I just want to be in love, you know? Yeah. And but with what has come about, um, it's crazy because what I kept asking for is actually what I got. I am yep. at peace with myself. I love every ounce <laughs> of me, um, yeah. every, you know, and at the same time, I am in love with not only just myself, but I'm in love with my life. I'm in love with my friends and my support system. I'm in love with my work. I'm yeah. in love with my art. Um, I'm in love even with my journey because I now realize it is my journey that has led me to where I am today to be able to speak to other people and provide them this light that I was able to cultivate through experience. That's amazing. Yes, you, you really did get the, the happiness and the love all together. Um, right. So your book, real real briefly, let's discuss it. So it's, it's a book of poems, poetry. Yes. Uh, tell me a little bit about it. So um, the book that I'm coming out with, I am dedicating it to um, the Black queer individual whoever they are. Mm -hmm. um, and it is because I am a Black queer individual and I 
have not really seen outside of a very fantastic book that I recently read called All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson. Really mm -hmm. fantastic book. Um, but outside of that book, I had never really come across any material that was one poetry and then also like talking about our experiences specifically. Um, and so I was like, you know what? Girl, why, why don't you go ahead and write it, create it? If you yeah. don't see it, make it, you know? Um, and so I started writing the book and I already had some poems written. And so I put those together in the book and then I just kind of kept going. And throughout writing the book, I ended up shifting it and I was like, ah, I'm going to add photos. Then I'm going to have different sections. And now I'm going to do this. And I was able to figure out where I wanted to go with the book. Um, and it is, it talks about being Black. It talks about um, being in love, being in love with the best friend. It talks about losing a love. It mm -hmm. talks about, um, you know, the Black experience in America. Mm -hmm. It talks about... Um, authenticity it talks about finding yourself it talks about um the beauty of just being a black person in our features and um you know it it kind of goes into all of that it talks about spirituality um all from the perception in the mind of a black queer non-binary individual yeah something about the stuff that you've put online there's this word keeps coming up and i think it's perfect for you and your brand but there's an authentic there's an authenticity to the words that the whole story i might not be connecting with but there, there's an authenticity in the words that i i connect with um and it really just it it brought brings me in and i'm captivated by it and i moved and it might not be the exact same story but i i can connect it to something in my life so that's something that i've really appreciated about seeing and stuff that i've, I've seen on tiktok of yours and that you've put out into the universe so this this book is very exciting because it doesn't necessarily have to be you don't have to be you know a queer black individual to really right. get get everything out of it because it's multi-layered. It's beyond that. It's, it's reaching beyond those things. So, yes, um, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Cause that's actually my intention with the book. I wanted, my goal is, and I'm hoping it happens, but um, I want people who are literally not who the book is dedicated to, to read it mm -hmm. and still be able to see themselves. So that way they then are able to think for themselves. Wow we are actually far more alike than society mm -hmm. may depict. And that's my goal. I want people to see that I may have an experience that you also have had, even though we may not still be in the same community per se, um, but we still have that connection and we don't have to see each other as all being different um, mm -hmm. because a lot of us are the same. We go through a lot of the same experiences just at different times and different levels. Yeah. And your story is equally as important as anybody else's story going through that and just told through a different, different, you know, lens. And I mean, I love, I love the intros to all of your poems. They're like, they're so catchy and I just, I love it. I love everything about it. Um, in your, in your opinion, how do you think this pandemic and this Black Lives Matter pandemic is really going to shift uh, art and the way that we look at art um, in the coming years? Um, I think that it is going to allow for people 
to tap into something that they didn't know they had. So I think we're going to start to get a lot of originality. Um, and I don't know when it's going to come, but I have faith that it will. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's still a lot of people who are healing and we're still going through the pandemic at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that over time, over the course of time, we'll start to see people talking about their self-reflection probably talking about how they were able to pull themselves out of certain situations. I mm-hmm. think that people now throughout quarantine have had time to really self-reflect and and look back on um, their past and kind of figure out, okay, well, how did I get to where I am now? Um, and so I feel like it's going to bring this new, this new, I don't even know what to call it, but new like scene of Mm -hmm. art because people now have had so much time. Um, You know, there's more people now say that have had time to, to do research, to Mm -hmm. be on TikTok all day, to be on Twitter or or social media in general and see so many different people create. Um, And then also to come about learning about um, talents that they didn't know that they had. So now we're going to start to hear voices that we may not had have heard. If this didn't happen, we don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, myself, I'm a dancer and that's how I label myself. Um, but now through this pandemic, I'm about to be, I'm, I'm a writer. Yeah. So it's like, well, you get to, opposed to only being able to see my, see me tell a story through movement. Mm -hmm. You're now hearing my story, um, through both my voice and also reading about it through my pen. Yeah. It's like modern day renaissance that's happening with, a, you're, you're not alone. I see people, I hear from people that are doing things that I didn't think that they wanted to, but mm-hmm. they're capable of doing. And they've really have flourished in, in this, um, in this pandemic into something new. And they really, a lot of people have really been able to kind of pivot their life into something that they wanted now that they want to do rather than something that they had to do because they needed to work or they needed, they thought that that was the right option. But this has been a, an enormous equalizer for everybody in art right. and across the world. And you really, you really were able to take your life and do anything that you wanted with it. And now was right. the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've also noticed throughout this quarantine um, is that people are also searching. I found that more people are searching during this time for healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and however that, that may come about for them, people are looking for it, which I think is fantastic. And I think it's going to start to show in um, just in entertainment in general and in art. So, for example, I think that people are going to start to create new shows about things of this sort. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, whether it's a comedy, whether it's, you know, uh, or satire or whether it is, you know, a drama or Mm -hmm. anything of those sort. But I think we're going to start to be able to see a lot of these things. And also people can start to create stories about, you know, their coming out of what they went through and what their process was. Even like, you know, everybody dealt with quarantine differently. Yeah. And that's also a story in itself to tell because it's like, how did you survive during a global pandemic? And one that lasts like it's at this point, it seemed I mean, it seemed like it's almost going to about a year. 
Yeah, I know. And that's the unfortunate part is like, we're all isolated. So we know how we're going through it. But my neighbor, I mean, I haven't seen my neighbor in months because, you know, people are quarantining themselves. But, you know, I, I get intrigued to figure out how somebody else is doing it and how other people are doing it. Maybe I should be doing something else. But you're absolutely right. This, this quarantine's forever long. Bernard. Right. Thank you yes. so much for doing this. How can people find you? What handles? Where, where can they find you on social media? You guys can find me on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter at the mm-hmm. same handle, Authentic Burns, mm-hmm. A-U-T-H-E-N-T-I-C-B-E-R-N-S. Hopefully I spelled that all correctly. You did. You did. <laughs> I, I wrote it out beforehand and you did. You got it all right. And if anybody wants to see you dance, everybody should look up this one clip from Gallon Hooks and you dancing. It's incredible. Um, it was. It's in New York. It's on YouTube. Um, I can't even remember which dance it is. I just watched it the other night, like two nights ago. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness. Thank you. It is I called The High. I also um, just recently reposted it on my Instagram, on okay. Authentic Burns, because I was like in the house and I was like, I miss taking dance class. Okay. And I was maybe, like, you know what? Let me repost. Maybe that's where I saw it a couple of days ago because I was I was following you and I saw it again. I was like, oh my goodness, this, this piece <laughs> is amazing. She's amazing. Thank You're you. amazing. It's She's all amazing. brilliant. Oh my yeah. God. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. I had a blast too. It's been so fun, eye-opening, and your story is fantastic. It's incredible. Thank you so much. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Have a good night. Bye. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. To view additional content, follow E's podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe and leave comments on the episode wherever this podcast can be found. See you next week.